Welcome to Success in Brief with your host, Roseanne Felicello. In every episode, we feature successful women attorneys and other business professionals to reflect on what career advice would you give your younger self. We hope to provide insights and inspiration toward your professional success. You can find this show at www.felicellolaw.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now, here's the host of Success in Brief, Roseanne Felicello. Good morning. I'm so excited for today's podcast. It's our very first one, and I get to introduce our audience to my great friend and former colleague, Laura Wood. Uh, fun fact, Laura actually sponsored my admission to the Southern District of New York. That's how far back we go. Um, but before um, I introduce Laura, I just want to take a brief moment um, to tell you a little bit about the, my vision for this podcast and what we hope to accomplish here. Uh, my goal for success in brief is to highlight female attorneys who have found success and satisfaction in their law practice and to show that success, what it looks like and what it can mean um, for each of you. And I want to confront and dismantle this myth that it's particularly difficult for women to find happiness as attorneys. I truly believe that it's a great profession for a woman um, and men as well, but especially for women, I think it gives you um, a great deal of professional autonomy um, and it's a way to be in control of your career and your life and um, also find some professional satisfaction. Um, and so, on that note, um, I, you know, it may not be what uh, your success, how it comes about, may not be what your career office told you it would look like. It might not be what you see in um, popular culture, but I do think that um, you can find a career that, that really satisfies you personally. And so um, on that note, Laura is a great um, example of that. Um, she started off in private practice um, at Patterson Belknap. And after uh, working there as an associate, uh, left to go into the political realm and has really um, had great success there. Um, she uh, spent four and a half years, uh, sorry, she, sorry, after four and a half years at Patterson, she went on to become a policy director to State Senator Daniel Squadron, and then served as the chief counsel to the Senate Democratic Conference, and then a senior advisor and special counsel to the Office of Attorney General for the state of New York. Um, and for the past three years, she's been in the office of the mayor of the city of New York, uh, first as senior counsel and general counsel, and most recently as chief Dem democracy officer. And she's now in the process of transitioning once again uh, from to be a fellow uh, with the Open Society Foundations. Uh, so Laura, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to hear all about where your legal path has taken you since we both left Patterson Belknap. Uh, but first of all, do you agree with me that your law degree has given you the ability to really craft a satisfying professional career? Well, thank you so much for having me, Roseanne. It's really great to, to see you, and I'm honored to be part of your inaugural podcast. <laughs> um, and, and to answer your question, I, I absolutely agree. I think that even, even law school and, and going through that educational process, I, I know for some it can be frustrating, but for me personally, it was actually very fulfilling. That's where I really became a writer and became more confident in a lot of my skills. And, and from there, I, I really do think that law has, has been a great 
segue and and has really provided me with a lot of tools that I have used in in every job that I've had since graduating. So whether it's directly litigating as I was doing at Patterson Belknap or you know be, as as you said more in the political policy realm I I use those skills that I that I gained in law school and as a young attorney every day. Mm-hmm. Great. And how does um, the work that you're doing now, and I guess what you will be doing in the future, align with what you thought you would be doing at this point in your career, like looking back, um, coming out of law school? Well, it's it's been a while now. <laughs> I, I graduated actually 20 years ago, um, basically, to, you know, <laughs> to the day. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't even know what I thought 20 years ago, um, but... But I, I, I feel like I've had I've been very, very lucky and um, and very privileged in my career to to have done a variety of what I consider to be very interesting work, um, first as, as a law clerk and then in private practice and and, you know, for the last 13 years in state and then city government. And, you know, I, I definitely always had a feeling that I would go into some form of public service mm-hmm. law. Did I know I would end up as chief democracy officer for my hometown, the city of New York? No, I didn't. Um, in fact, I didn't. I mean, that wasn't a job that even existed. At the <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I d- definitely did not foresee it. But, um, but I, you know, I feel extremely grateful for it and um, and grateful for the experiences I've had and, and you know, nervous but excited about the next chapter. Oh, I'm sure. So what is it to be chief democracy officer? Well, um, I will say, first of all, it is the only such position that I am aware of, at least mm-hmm. in the U.S., although I, I hope that will change. Um, and what what this was and, and continues to be is is a role overseeing an initiative that was housed at the mayor's office that is housed at the mayor's office that really seeks to embed voter participation voter registration into you know into the work of city government and make sure that new eligible new yorkers are aware of their their right to register and their right to vote and aware of various deadlines. Um, so what we did in and, and and I led an initiative called Democracy NYC in my role as the chief democracy mm-hmm. officer. So I had a staff and we did direct outreach work to voters and, and potential voters. We um, in particular partnered with the city's Department of Education to try to do outreach to high school students who, you know, mm-hmm. to get them registered early and and on a path for, for civic participation. We did policy and legislative work. And, and this is where my, my law degree really came in handy because a lot of what we did was advocate and negotiate for legislative changes to make voting more accessible in New York. And and then finally, we we really tried to communicate well with the public and whether it's using social media, um, when we had the budget for it, paid advertising, that sort of thing. So it was sort of a multi-pronged approach to reach out to New Yorkers and, and hopefully get more people to register and vote. 
It sounds like such an important role, especially now with, you know, the voting rights legislation that, you know, the voting rights issues that have happened and with the Supreme Court's recent rulings. I'm sure it's even more important to make sure that people are registered. Absolutely. And that's another role that I really think that mayors and other local elected officials and really any trusted community leader can and should play is, you know, in this era of rampant misinformation about voting in elections, people tend to trust their local elected leaders more than their, say, state or federal level elected officials. And so if you have those local leaders talking to their citizens and encouraging them to vote, telling them how to vote safely and securely, then I, I hope we can at least begin to chip away at that just overwhelming tidal wave of misinformation that's out there. You would hope so. I, I don't know if there's a, there's a good um, you know way to get around the misinformation other than just try to be louder, but it, it is a difficult situation right now with um, you know with the various ways people are trying to uh, divide up the constituencies, which I'm sure you know more than more than anyone. <laughs> so how did you make the transition from private practice to politics? Well, um, this is it, it was a great story and, and it really speaks to how wonderful the, the folks at our old law firm were. Um, I, as you said, was practicing at Patterson Belknap and it was the spring or you know early summer of 2008. And I, I'd been there for about four years and I was I was just sort of feeling a little bit of an itch. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. it was a presidential election year. Um, I think at that point, it was clear that Barack Obama was going to be the Democratic nominee. There was a lot of excitement. And I, I had done volunteer work in the voter protection area before. I had actually done that in 2004, mm -hmm. but just for a few weeks because that was all I could really give. I think it was in between clerking and starting at Patterson, actually. Um, but in 2008, I really wanted to do more. And so I actually, I went to the leadership of the firm and I asked them if it would be okay to take a leave of absence and go work for the Obama campaign. I had an opportunity to help lead the voter protection effort in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And they very graciously said yes. And so I did that. I took about I guess in total, almost four months off, um, moved down to Philadelphia, knew no one, didn't even <laughs> say, but I, it all worked out. And, um, and as you know, Barack Obama did win the election. Yeah. I was, you know, so many people from the campaign then just flocked to Washington in search of jobs in the new administration. I had done the DC thing before and I really wasn't interested in that. Mm -hmm. So I you know, came back to New York, went back to Patterson and was sort of going about my business. And that's when I found out that this newly elected state senator, uh, Daniel Squadron, whose name you mentioned, was looking for staff because he had just he had just been sworn in as a, as a state senator. He was a freshman. He was at the time the youngest state senator. And he was actually my state senator. I lived in his district at the time. And I interviewed with him and he offered me a position as his first policy director and counsel. 
And I decided to take a very big leap <laughs> into what I soon learned was the absolute craziness of New York. <laughs> um, and I basically haven't looked back since. So that's uh, that's my transition to government story. It's a great story. And speaking of, you know, the craziness of New York politics, you really had a front seat, some historic moments um, in the you know political arena. What are some of your most memorable ones? Well, it was, I mean, when I first got to Albany, it was an incredibly exciting time. Um, this senator that I was working for was in the majority party and just the amount of attention and demand for all of our time was unbelievably intense. I, I've never worked, well, since then I've worked harder. <laughs> it was a very, very intense period of time. Um, and, and one absolutely shattering thing that happened um, about five months into my job is that there was an attempted coup of, um, of the, state, the state legislature. And you know, this is something that now, given that we're a year and a half out from the January 2021 insurrection really resonates. I mean, this was completely nonviolent and um, it, was, it was basically born out of corruption. Um, but what it did at the time was really bring state government to a standstill for a few weeks. And, um, and it really opened my eyes to the dysfunction of our state government. And, and frankly, for me, the need to stay in it and continue trying to reform it from the inside. So that's that was one early example. And, and like I said, really, really devastating. Um, but then about two years later, I got to witness a really wonderful moment in, in our state's history. Um, I was on the floor of the state Senate. At that time, I had transitioned to the job of counsel to the entire state Senate Democratic Conference. And um, was on the floor and witnessed the vote to legalize marriage equality in New York. And um, that had been obviously a long time coming and was the result of tremendous efforts by many advocates and others. And it was really a great day and um, and really wonderful to see an example of, of state government working for the people and, and advancing policy change that was was so heavily supported by New Yorkers. So yeah, and I remember that being in New York, um, you know, New York City then that was fantastic. Just a great achievement. Um, so that must have been amazing to be on the floor. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a great day. So there were there were big lows, but then there were very <laughs> big highs during my time with the state legislature. And what was the impetus for moving from the state um, legislature to the mayor's office? Well, I actually, um, in between, spent time at the attorney general's office, and um, and that was that was terrific. Um, and and the impetus for moving from the legislature to the state AG's office, I'm I'm going to be completely honest with you, it was actually a lot. It was mostly for personal reasons, sure. Because um, just in my personal life, commuting to Albany became <laughs> really challenging, and I that was the most fun trip ever. 
Um, and so this was a job that permitted me to work exclusively in Manhattan, which which at the time was really was really beneficial. Yeah. Um, and and I absolutely loved the AG's office. I, I got to do a, a lot of great work there. I don't know if, if we're going to go into any of that. Um, but then what led me to move from the AG's office to the city was um, I had mentioned, obviously, my work in voter protection and my yeah. interest in, in those issues. And I had actually served on the election law committee of the New York City Bar Association, which was a great experience. And also, when I was with the state Senate, I sort of dabbled a little bit in election law um, because very often I was involved in um, post-election activity, like recounts for a few a few state Senate races that were very close. This was, of course, in my volunteer capacity, not in my government capacity. But it sort of opened my eyes to that process. And I got to know some election lawyers, including one lovely, lovely person, um, my dear friend, Henry. And um, Henry had gone on uh, to be the mayor's chief election lawyer. Oh, okay. And and then he was ready to retire. And he is the one who told me about this opportunity to come join the city as special counsel to the newly formed Democracy NYC initiative. And I, I remember he sent me the job description and I, I read it and it just it really spoke to me because it was looking for basically exactly what I <laughs> felt I was bringing to the table, which was a mixture of of policy and legislative experience, but obviously a, a law degree, an interest in voting and election related issues. And I just, you know, it was it was hard to leave the AG's office, but it was kind of just so obvious that that was what I wanted to do. And um, and so, yeah, I, I made that transition about three years ago. Uh, that sounds like a, a very great job and, and something that would be um, very fulfilling, right? Um, yeah. I mean, if I thought state government moved quickly, oh my goodness, city government is extremely fast paced, at least in the mayor's office. I can't speak to, to all of it, but that was one of the most intense work environments. Um, I think particularly when you're working for someone who's term limited, has a lot that they want to accomplish. And, and obviously, I mean, running the city of New York is an incredibly intense job. <laughs> Um, and so even though I was not in the thick of a lot of it, I really just felt that intensity and we all worked tremendously hard. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I think it's, it's something you said is very interesting about how, you know, you met one person and, and talked to him about what he did. And, and that's what really moved your, ended up moving your career forward in a different way than you thought of. And um, you also mentioned moving for personal reasons, which I think all of us make, you know, these career decisions oftentimes for a mixture of reasons, personal and professional. Um, I've come to realize that I think that it's not a bad thing. I think that that's actually what we need to like stop sort of feeling like it's a hang up or it's a problem, but that's really, you know, we have one life. And so you need to be mm -hmm. able to make decisions for various reasons. Um, can you speak a little bit more to that? Absolutely. I mean, I can't, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, and you know, so far, knock on wood, all of the changes I've made in my career, whether they be for for personal reasons or not, have, I think, been good decisions that I have never regretted. 
Um, particularly the transition from the state legislature to the attorney general's office. So, you know, full disclosure, I had a baby at that time and that was, <laughs> I didn't want to commute to Albany anymore. Um, and so I, I, I had a great opportunity to join the AG's office in what I consider to be a really interesting role. And I was lucky enough to have a boss at that time who was willing to let me work part time, okay. which is which is something that I think is much more common in private practice. It's very uncommon actually in government. And I, I really hope that maybe one of the byproducts of the pandemic is that we can start to see a little bit more flexibility around this. Um, but but basically during the about five years that I spent at the attorney general's office, I was part-time the entire time. And it was really wonderful. I mean, those were the earliest years of first my my older daughter's life and then i i actually had another baby while i was there and i i i felt like i was doing really good important legal work and advancing my career but i also did you know it's such a cliche but i did feel like i actually had some level of balance um and and it also you know when i did move to the city and and start working full time again, I, I felt good about that, too, because I felt like, you know, my kids were at a place where, where that was OK. And yeah. um, so I think I think it's important to just acknowledge it and, and be open about it. I acknowledge that there's different points in your life where you might be doing, you know, you might have your foot on the pedal a little bit harder in your career versus family. And then it, it, sometimes it, you have to let off also. Right. Sometimes you have exactly. to pull back a little bit. So. Um, I found it to be true um, as well. And I, I think it's important. I think it's something that, you know, when you're considering your career at the beginning, you might not see the need to make these changes or adjustments. But it's important, something important to learn as you go through. Go through. For sure, for sure. So you're in the process of making another uh, big transition. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and what you're going to be doing um, at the Open Society Foundations? Sure. So yeah, I, I'm just in the process of transitioning. I left my my government job a few weeks ago, and I am starting what's called the Leadership in Government Fellowship, which is hosted by the Open Society Foundations. And this is a fellowship specifically designed for people who have had senior level senior level government jobs um, that are looking to transition, at least for a bit, I, you know, I may go back into government at some point, but um, I applied for this and proposed a project. Everyone has to propose a project. And, um, and now that I have started it, I, I will be focused on this project for the next 18 months. Um, and you, you may not be super surprised to hear that what I'm going to be on is actually sort of an extension of the work I've been doing with Democracy NYC. So I am going to be partnering with other U.S. cities and mayor's offices throughout those cities on ways that city government and mayors can really embed that voter participation, voter registration work into city government and um, and hopefully work to increase voter participation numbers and civic engagement more generally and and again you know it, try to chip away at this at this misinformation that is so rampant out there 
Um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. It's, it's really the early stages, um, but I have a great partner in the effort of um, the Brennan Center for Justice, which is an organization I've done a lot of work with professionally. Um, they've agreed to, to sort of let me affiliate with them throughout my fellowship. And so I'm really excited to get to know the team there better and, um, and hopefully <laughs> do good work and, you know, also have some time to reflect on my government service and my career generally and, and sort of think about what will come next after the fellowship ends. It, that sounds fantastic. And it sounds like a, a great um, way to sort of take stock of where you've come and where you want to go next. Um, do you have any inkling as to what that might look like? Well, um, I mean, I mentioned I, I do love government work I and I and I really loved working for the city. I, I honestly don't think I would have left had this fellowship not come along, but it just felt like such a good opportunity that I didn't want to pass up. But I'm definitely interested in in continuing in city government at some point, um, potentially state government as well. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously a super important presidential election on the horizon a few years from now. And I think some of the work I'll be doing in the fellowship is, is obviously going to be relevant to that. So, you know, if this work really takes off, you know, perhaps I will pursue it longer than the fellowship. Um, I'm, I'm just not sure yet, but I'm excited to find yeah. out. Um, would you ever consider an elected position? I, I, I wish that I could say yes, because I think, I think that more women should run for office and I, you know, I support women running. Um, I have been so close to so many elected officials. I've seen what it's like and I am just not sure it's for me, to be honest. Um, mostly, I mean, the, the actual work seems great, but but so much of the other stuff that it comes along with it, like the fundraising and, you know, the long nights and weekends, for me at this point in my life, I don't see taking that on. Um, but who knows? I mean, my, my mother, who's kind of my political inspiration and mentor, when I was when I was growing up, she was a local elected official called a district leader in, in New York. And so, you know, I'll never say never, but at the moment, it's not really a goal of mine. That's, that's, that's interesting you have that background that must have um, shaped a little bit of your view of working in, in government, I assume. Absolutely, yes. And I, I think it's important to have strong role models, especially as women, that knowing that you can actually go into this field and and succeed, right? Uh, versus not having someone uh, in that role. Yeah, no, I've been I've been very fortunate, and and I will say, I mean, I've had great female role models and mentors, but I've actually been very lucky to work with a lot of very supportive men. Um, you know, the man who who told me about the job with the city. Um, you know, I if not for him, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't have wound up in that role. So I'll, I'll always be eternally grateful. Um, so I think, you know, regardless of whether you're working for, you know, regardless of the gender, you know, you, you can seek out good mentors and, and, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions or advocate for yourself. 
Or that's that's an important skill. I feel like I'm always trying to teach my children that to make sure that they advocate for themselves and not just depend on me to advocate for them all the time. Because it's easy to do, right? To lead on your parents, to have them be the advocate. Absolutely. Um, you spoke a lot about you know um, your voting and election work. Do you have any resources that you could recommend to our listeners if they want to get involved in this area? Absolutely. I, I don't know if your listeners are mostly in New York or, or other parts of the country. Um, here in New York, we have you know good information on various websites, um, probably for New York City residents. The single best you you know place to visit is is voting.nyc, which has all of the latest information and deadlines. Um, and then nationally, there's an organization that I've done some work with in the past that I, I hope to continue working with in my fellowship, and that is called When We All Vote. Um, it's an organization that was founded in part by Michelle Obama, it's, but it's a nonpartisan organization aimed at encouraging voter participation. And you can look up state-specific information there. Um, I think there's ways, there's other ways to get involved if you want to get involved. Um, th those are some examples that, that spring to mind. No, really very helpful. Okay, I have three last questions for you. <laughs> um, these are sort of more rapid fire type questions. <laughs> um, if you couldn't be an attorney, what career would you choose? At this point in my life, I think I would really enjoy being a therapist, actually. Um, I have a lot of friends who are in that field. Some have been in it for a long time, some more recent. But I, I mean, I, I think there's a there's a huge demand for mental health professionals right now. And I, I, I just sense a very high level of of career satisfaction. Um, and I like talking to people one on one. That's part of why I agreed to do the podcast. <laughs> so I, I always think that that therapy would be would be an interesting profession. If you asked me like thirty years ago, I would have said an actress. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's interesting how things change as you get older, right? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> okay, two. Um, what is the one thing you wish you knew when you graduated from law school? That you know now. Ooh, that's tough. Um, it doesn't have to be the one thing. One thing. One thing. One thing. I think you know, sort of what you were just saying, actually, about like advocating for yourself. Like, like you know, don't be afraid to advocate for yourself and and try to set realistic goals and expectations. I, I remember being a junior associate, and you know, having four different matters for four different partners and being so anxious about pleasing them all and getting it all done. And, you know, I think that if I had just taken the time to, you know, think about what I could actually manage um, and, and, you know, if I felt that I had taken too much on, maybe talk to the various partners about, you know, what are, what are the real deadlines here, et cetera, mm -hmm. rather than just pulling all-nighter after all-nighter, which I, I used to do as a young professional. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's sort of advocating for yourself and, and have the confidence to know that if you ask for something, probably it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. well, that's great advice. And lastly, would you recommend a law career to your children? 
Yes. Yes. I mean, I don't, well, my older one, I really do not see going into law. So I just, I don't really think that's in the cards. My younger one, I, you know, she, she definitely is already starting to enter that sort of negotiating phase. Of <laughs> and occasionally I'm like, oh, wow, you'd be a really good lawyer. So, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not going to push either of them in that direction. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like it's a great career. I've had a really good experience. And if that's what they choose completely on their own, <laughs> of course, I would be supportive. That's great. Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun to catch up. And we definitely yes. actually do so not on camera. Um, sometime no, that would be great. I would love that yeah, to chat for, for longer. But uh, have a great day. And thank, thank you. So you. Much. Thank you. You too. You've been listening to Success in Brief with your host, Roseanne Felicello. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others. You can catch prior episodes at www.felicellolaw.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Twitter, and more.